1: Today, on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real
0: love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for us with every sunrise.
2: A thousand churches that have closed their doors and shuttered their windows because they've allowed their differences to become division. Instead of recognizing that the diversity within the body of Christ adds to the richness of the body of Christ and the key in the body of Christ just like in a family just like in a marriage is you have to work hard at unity and you have to respect the differences and not allow the differences to become divisive and it takes a spirit of Jesus to hold that together
1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Romans. We live in a very me-focused society today. Trying to navigate as a loving Christian in a culture that is obsessed with glorifying self is not easy. Today, Pastor Gary will challenge you to love others and build them up. PAUL ENCOURAGED THE EARLY CHURCH IN ROME TO PRAY FOR A SPIRIT OF UNITY AND TO WORK SACRIFICIALLY FOR IT. THE ULTIMATE GOAL OF UNITY IS TO GLORIFY JESUS AND PROCLAIM THE GOOD NEWS OF THE GOSPEL. GOD CALLS YOU TO ACCEPT EACH OTHER AS CHRIST HAS ACCEPTED YOU, TO FORGIVE OTHERS AS GOD HAS FORGIVEN YOU, AND TO LOVE AS JESUS LOVES YOU. AT THE CLOSE OF PASTOR GARY'S MESSAGE TODAY, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Romans chapters 15 and 16 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: Let's take our Bibles, Romans chapter 15, and we're going to look at the last two chapters tonight. In these closing two chapters of Romans, where Paul starts to bring conclusion to his letter to the church in Rome, again, the church in Rome was comprised of both Jew and Gentile believers, uh, Jews who believed in Jesus, Gentiles who ...became believers in Jesus also, and because of the mixture of that in the church at Rome, there was the opportunity for there to be division, because you have people from very different backgrounds. You have Jews who have, who have come to faith in Jesus, and they, they were trained in, in the ways of the law... And you have Gentiles who come to faith in Jesus, and they weren't trained in ways anything except the world. And so you get, you know, these heathen Gentiles who get saved, and you have these very legal, uh, studious Jews uh, who get saved, and those come together. The mixture can cause friction. So the conclusion of the book of Romans, Paul is emphasizing now, we talked about it in chapter 14, about how to get along. And he mentions about disputable matters. That there are some things that simply are not covered chapter and verse in the Bible. And so there are some matters that are disputable. Some, some Christians, even today, we translated it in modern terms. Some Christians today have more liberty in certain areas. For example, movies, music, in relation even to the subject of alcohol. And, and then there are other Christians who are on the other side of the argument and they are persuaded differently concerning those subjects and many other subjects and so what it comes down to is paul said you have to live according to your conscience before god but you can't just simply live between you and god it also is between you and god and others it's not just the vertical it's also the horizontal we have to be mindful of other people we don't want to cause people to stumble we don't want to cause people to unnecessarily be offended because of our quote liberty so he talks here in these closing chapters on along this line that we need to be respectful of others, we need to have a clear conscience with God. It's not just, well, I'm free in Christ, do whatever I jolly well want, because there are a lot of considerations to be thought of. And he continues in this same vein here into chapter 15. Look here at verse 1, where he says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. He says, each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So here's basically an overview of where we're going in the final two chapters. In between chapters 15 and 16, Paul's going to first give some advice for the church. And then he's going to even have a personal request for some prayer in his own life. And then finally, he's going to give some warnings for the church uh, into chapter 16. So that's where we're going. Paul's advice for the church, his request for prayer, and then finally his warnings for the church. Now, along the lines of this first topic, Paul's advice for the church, we see here in the opening verses of chapter 15 that Paul is going to encourage us in order to maintain this kind of, you know, how do we get along with all of our differences and all our backgrounds, and, and you know, we come to faith in Christ, yes, and that's one thing that we have in common, but we all have varied backgrounds and varied personalities and, and various approaches to those disputable matters. So he says, let me give you some closing advice about how to get along. He kind of summarizes everything from chapter 14 and here in the chapter 15 and the first thing that he says here is we need to be others oriented we need to be others oriented that's what i just read there he says we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves it's not about ourselves he says each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up So we need to be living lives that are more focused on how to please others and how to build others up and how to edify others rather than it being about ourselves. And then he gives the example, he says, for even Christ, there in verse 3, did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. In other words, he says, if anybody has set the perfect example for us, it's Christ in that. He didn't think of himself. When he went to the cross, he thought about you and me. He wasn't preoccupied with self, he was preoccupied with his love for the world, and that's what compelled him to the cross. And so Paul says, in the same way that Christ took on the insults, and took on the offense, and ultimately even took on our sin, and he didn't retaliate, and he didn't think about himself in that moment, he thought of everybody else, so we should be like that, be others oriented and we live in a very me oriented society so this is even more difficult for us now than it was in the day that paul wrote this around 56 57 ad okay our culture is obsessed with self all right i mean we are again you know i've I've commented on social media before and networking and stuff and i'm not i'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing i'm just pointing out the reality that stuff like facebook and twitter is all about me I mean, it really is. If you just kind of whittle it down to really the basic reality of what those social media platforms are, it is about promoting, here's what I'm up to. Here's what I'm doing. And I want everybody to see. And most of the time, nobody cares. We really don't care what you had for breakfast. We really don't care about the shoes you bought. We really don't care where you're eating, you know. But you think we do. And so we all, you know, deceive each other thinking that each other really cares what we're up to. We don't. But nobody wants to admit it. Why? Because secretly, we're all peeping Tom's. We are all secret stalkers. And so we like that. We like to know, what are you up to? We don't really care. We just want to know. We're curious. We're obsessed with it. All right? But it's all about promoting self, really. Look what I'm up to. I mean, why do you think it's called a selfie? It's not a Yui. It's a selfie. All right? So we're obsessed with that in our culture. Now, again, if you have Facebook and Twitter, go for it. It's fine. But I'm just saying that the platform is based on the premise that it's about me. And Paul says, in the church we got to remember it's about others. It's not about me. God will take care of me, but we need to be others-oriented and others-minded. And he goes on here to say in verse 5, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Number two on the list, he says, you better pray for a spirit of unity. That's why he says, may, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity. This cannot be contrived. It cannot be something that we just simply do in our own strength. This has to come from the Lord. A spirit of unity in the church comes from the Lord, and we need to pray for it. Because except the Lord builds the church, we labor in vain. And I guarantee you, you look around tonight, you look at the diversity among just people in general, unity does not come naturally. We need to pray for it. I thank God that over 25 years now of Cornerstone. We've never had a church split. But I guarantee you the only reason we haven't had a church split is because of the grace of God and he's given us a spirit of unity. But we have to work hard at it. We have to work hard at it. Because if we're not careful, there's a thousand churches plus, that's just a figurative number, there's many more than a thousand churches that have closed their doors and shuttered their windows because they've allowed their differences to become division. Instead of recognizing that the diversity within the body of Christ adds to the richness of the body of Christ. And the key in the body of Christ, just like in a family, just like in a marriage, is you have to work hard at unity and you have to respect the differences and not allow the differences to become divisive. And it takes a spirit of Jesus to hold that together. It really does take a work of God to maintain unity wherever you have differences. I mean, just think about it. I don't know how many of you regularly go to family reunions every once in a while, but those are rich, aren't they? <laughs> And you get together with you know uncle charlie and aunt maybelline you haven't seen them for like 15 or 20 years and then everybody's under this outdoor pavilion and and all you have is like 30 or 50 people at a family reunion and there's all of a sudden bickering and division and there's controversy nobody can agree on anything and you know uncle charlie wants to do cornhole and aunt maybelline wants to do croquet and the cousins want to do drugs and it's just like what in the world (laughs) what is happening here this is ridiculous am i even a part of this family and i don't believe in evolution but when you go to a family reunion you can begin to think there's the missing link. You know what I'm talking about? And so there's all kinds of challenges just within a small family at a family reunion. Now now multiply it out at a church of any substantial size within that church represents all kinds of different people. And that's a wonderful thing. But don't take unity for granted. Pray for it and work hard for it in terms of being respectful of the differences and recognizing that the differences lend to the completion within the diversity of the body of Christ and how God will use one person with one set of gifts and another person with another set of gifts to bring about the completion within the work of God in his kingdom. But pray for it, he says there. May God give it to you, the spirit of unity. Now, King James Version says, like-mindedness. And notice again verse 6, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he's not saying that oneness is synonymous with sameness. Okay, we're not all the same. But he says we better have one common goal. And that is with one heart and mouth, we're glorifying Jesus. Because the moment the church takes its eyes off of Jesus and gets stuck in the weeds examining all the things that they don't like and the differences between people and all this other nonsense, that is the death of a church. That is, and probably we have different stories that we can relate to. Certain churches that you know all it took was a small group of divisive people and all they wanted to do was focus on this thing or that thing. And as soon as the congregation gets their eyes off Jesus, it's the death of a church. And so Paul says here, With one heart and one mouth, you better be glorifying Jesus because as long as you are fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, then you'll be able to respect and get along with each other in spite of our differences and recognize that as the richness that adds to the diversity and continue to focus on Jesus. The moment you stop focusing on Jesus is the moment that there's the potential for division. So that's his warning there. Pray for a spirit of unity. Verse 7, accept One another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Let me just read through verse 12. I'll come back and summarize it. He says, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth. In other words, Jesus came to fulfill the promise towards the Jews, but he says also to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Again, it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. All right, pause there for a moment. Why all the emphasis on the Gentiles? Because again, he's writing to a church that has both Jew and Gentiles, and some of these folks aren't getting along. And in particular, the Jews, who have had the privilege of the law of God, And they've had the privilege of being the first to really introduce to the world who God is. I mean, think about it. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the creator of the universe, was introduced to the world through the Jewish people. And that God himself brought about a Jewish race of people from nothing in order that he might be revealed to the world and ultimately the Savior Jesus would come through the Jewish people. All right, Now, if you're part of that group that's had the privilege of bringing revelation of God to the world and Messiah coming through your race, you might tend to think of yourself a little more specially and exclusively than others. And so Paul is wanting them to understand, yes, Jesus came to fulfill the promise of the Jews. But listen, folks, you're going to have to open up your arms to the Gentiles too, because Jesus died for all. And so he's emphasizing here, particularly to the Jews who think that they're the exclusive people, and there's no question that God, you know, still has special love for the Jewish people. And God says, he who touches Israel touches the apple of my eye. So, you know, he's not done with Israel. But the Jewish people are just as much in need of a Savior as the Gentile people. All right? And he's making the emphasis that even though you had this special role of introducing God to the world, a Messiah comes to the Jewish people, don't think you were exclusive to salvation. Jesus died for all, including the Gentiles. But he basically says here in verses 7 to 12, look again at verse 7 accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. We have to accept each other. We have to accept each other. How? As Christ has accepted you. Now think about how Christ accepted you. All right? Think about that for just a moment. How did Christ accept you? He accepted you just as you are. There's nothing you had to do to impress him. He accepted you just as you are. We have to accept people just as they are. We have to accept people just as they are. Now, now, listen, I'm talking about... And, and by the way, the instruction of scriptures not only accept others as Christ has accepted you. Colossians 3.13 says that you need to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. And Jesus says in John 13, I want you to love one another. As I have loved you. And by this will all men know that you are my disciples. So there's a mandate to do three things in the New Testament. To accept one another as Christ has accepted us. To forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. And to love one another as Christ has loved us. And this is challenging. But this is what God calls us to. It's a higher standard. You know, the world basically teaches accept whoever you want and reject whoever you want. Love whoever you want. You know, don't whoever you want. And forgive those that that are really sorry, and the other ones you get to get even with, and all this kind of nonsense, and the Bible holds us to a higher standard. I want you to forgive, I want you to love, and I want you to accept, just as Christ has done those things for you and for me. And so that's our, that's our mandate. Be others-oriented, pray for a spirit of unity, accept one another as Christ has accepted you. Verse 13, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's an interesting emphasis there on hope that he mentions twice. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And please note that he says here the foundation for hope is trusting in Him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, help us to trust you more. Amen? Isn't that a regular prayer of yours? I know it is mine. God, help me to trust you more, because in our humanness, we want to trust everything else besides God. We want to trust our senses. We want to trust the doctor. We we want to trust the internet. We want to trust all kinds of things, but we need to trust the Lord, and when we trust the Lord, and when we work on that, then he brings us his hope. He says in verse 14, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. I have written you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God So that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So he uses some language here. You know, he's not a priest, but he he says in a priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel. What was the role of the priest? The priest in the Old Testament was to represent God to man and represent man to God. And Paul is saying, in effect, what I'm trying to do is proclaim the good news of Christ so that the Gentiles, I might represent God well to them. And then as I pray for them and lift them up to the Lord, I might represent them to God in this kind of a priestly role here. He says that they might become an offering acceptable to God, and I want them to be saved, and I want that aroma to be pleasing to the Lord, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. I love this about Paul. He's like, you know, I don't want to glory in anything except the fact that I just happen to be a vessel and God has done his good work through me in the lives of the Gentiles. He was always careful to give praise to God and to give glory to God where praise and glory were due. And he didn't want to touch any of it himself. You know, he understood. You look at the book of Acts. Remember when King Agrippa comes out to address the crowd in the book of Acts? And then his shining, glistening royal garments, the people ascribed unto him like he was a god. And he said, oh, look, look, you're a god, you're a god. And King Agrippa didn't denounce it. He just kind of accepted it. And then what did God do? God struck him dead right there. So, you know, Paul understands here, even though Romans is before all the events in Acts, Paul understands the general principle He's like, I'm not touching any of this glory. Glory all to God, except that I just happen to be a vessel in what I said and what I did. Now, he notes here in verse 19 that it was also accompanied by signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. And Paul was that. He was one who was used by God in a way that by God's Spirit, Paul was able to do different miracles. He was able to, again, by the Spirit, not himself. He was able to heal the sick. There's a story about him raising the dead. And so, Paul was used by the Lord in miraculous and powerful ways. The rest of verse 19, he says, So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. I love the fact that in America there's a church in every block, but... There's also sometimes the violation of this verse. Paul's like, I was careful never to build on somebody else's foundation. I wanted to go where the gospel has not been heard. Because if somebody's doing it effectively in one area, I don't need to be there and duplicate the effort. I'll go somewhere else. I had a man come up to me after Wednesday night service about, I don't know, a year or more ago and told me that he was, um, had resigned his position at another church here in the area, and that he was starting his own church. I said, oh, where are you going to start your own church? He goes, right here. And I just, I just quoted this verse from him. I said, brother, you are wanting to start a church in the backyard of the hand that fed you. You are leaving a church to plant a church in the same area. You know, that isn't even right. And I asked him, I said, does your previous senior pastor, does he... Does he like the idea that you're planting a church? He goes, no, not really. It's probably because you're not reading Romans chapter 15. Verse 21, rather as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. And this is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. He says because he's been busy going places where the gospel isn't. He says, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, which is an amazing thing. I mean, you know, I know the world wasn't as populated in Paul's day as it is ours, but he's basically saying, I've been so faithful in the different regions throughout Europe, Asia Minor, that there's nowhere else for me to go. So he's so effective in spreading the gospel. So he says, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, the church in Rome, I plan to do so when I go to Spain.
1: Open ocean, jump in and you'll find the your connection run towards your new life. Romans teaches that living for Jesus isn't just something you say with your mouth. It's an entire lifestyle change. Your heart and your mind are made new through the powerful grace and love of Jesus. You begin to want to do things as Jesus has, and that includes knowing what he says in the word. It's important to make spending time in the Bible part of your life. You'll learn more about the Savior you follow and his plans for your life and for the world as a whole. We're so glad you tuned in today for Pastor Gary Hamrick's message on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen again to this study in Romans, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you'll be able to learn more about this ministry and the church behind it all. Are you in the Leesburg area? If so, we'd love to have you come join us for our weekly services at Cornerstone Chapel. We meet each week on Sundays at 8.30, 10 at 11.45 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Come meet Pastor Gary, spend some time in the Word, and join us as we lift our voices in praise to our King. Directions to Cornerstone Chapel can be found on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. We hope you'll join us again for this continuing study of Romans, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know, still
2: you know. you're not